your Locked On Senators, your daily podcast on the Ottawa Senators, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Tim Stützle, and you're listening to the Locked On Senators podcast. Welcome inside episode 211 of the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Ross Levitan in the heart of enemy territory, downtown Toronto, alongside Brandon Pillar up in Collingwood. And it's a bonus edition of the show, a Wednesday one that's been a while since we've had one of those in the offseason. But with the heating up of the all-Canadian division, we thought what better time than to drop a roundtable with the host of Locked On Leafs, Mikey Stefano, and the host of Locked On Canadiens, Scott Matlow. Of course, Pillsy's here too. We get into everything you need to know about the All-Canadian division, some banter, the outlook of all three of these teams, and more. Then we also get in a little bit to the World Juniors before I'll get Pillsy's take on the debuts of Jake Sanderson, Tyler Clevin, and Robbie Arventi, and a whole lot more. This is the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day. Today is Wednesday, December 23rd in Pilsy. Almost three months after our version of Festivus, it's the real thing. Yeah, hey, you guys know we're on the grind. It's the day before the day before Festivus for real this time. And look, we, we don't take any holidays off. Festivus, Christmas Eve, Christmas, Boxing Day, New Year's, Valentine's Day, St. Patty's Day. We're going to be here for all of those days. We certainly will, and we're going to have more and more hockey to talk about. As I mentioned off the top, USA-Finland really kicked off the World Juniors. No disrespect to Austria-Switzerland, who played before them. But your initial thoughts, let's get into Jake Sanderson. Had that highlight reel assist, Tyler Clevin, doing what you expect from the K-Train. A huge hit towards the end of the game. And Robbie Arventi, probably the least noticeable of the three. What were your overall impressions of those guys? Well, first off, shout out Sen's prospects. You gotta love all the clips he's putting up. Makes it easy to follow along. And we should get Henry on the show. Yeah, actually, that's a great idea. It's been a while. We'll uh, we'll see if we can make that work. But right right off the top, Robbie Arventi has an incredible shot uh, chance in the slot. Man, imagine if he opened the game up with a big goal. Ross, you you've got to bet that Robbie Arventi will lead the entire tournament in scoring. So you would have been a happy man there. But I want to get into Jake Sanderson. That assist that he had uh, for Cole Caulfield, I think people are really, like every time I see this clip posted on Twitter, people are like, oh my God, Cole Caulfield. What about that pass from Jake Sanderson? That doesn't happen without that incredible play. And this is these are the kind of things that Jake Sanderson does so well. Like when you're watching this, he's hemmed in at the corner of his spot at the top of the blue line. And he's got to pivot to three times to beat the Finland player that's on him. And what he does is he's got his head up the whole time. Before he does his first pivot, he looks over, he sees Caulfield um, on, on the wall going towards the back of the net. Then he pivots again, knowing he's got to create more space. And then he turns around, completely turns the Finnish player inside out, and then rims it around the boards right to Caulfield. Like, that's the kind of awareness that he knows Caulfield's going to be ready. He's going to be in that spot, but he needs to waste a little bit more time to let him get into position and then a perfect pass for him to accept that puck on a stick and go right around the net and score. So Jake Sanderson, that's just yet another example of his all-round game producing offense. 
the definition of poise we tweeted out at Send Central because he doesn't get frazzled whether it's a four-checker on him coming in behind him in his own zone. You know he'll take his time coming out behind his own net as well, sends prospects all over that clip as well. Really just showing off his, his skating at other times in the game. It's so effortless for him. So it's going to be awesome to watch him. One of the youngest players on the Team USA after Matthew Bernies, who was also all over the ice last night. So a lot of talent up and down that U.S. lineup. And Tyler Clevin, he had a couple a couple plays where you're like, okay, I, I kind of see what the haters are are looking at. He, had a, he was falling on, on the boards there. But he also, what I really liked, of course, the hit was great towards the end of the game. But they dumped it in his corner a lot on the Finland forecheck. And I found that he made the simple plays. He was – there, he would protect the puck and then either just kick it or flick it to his defensive partner. And that's exactly what you want to see from Tyler Clevin. He had a heads-up two-line pass. I almost called it a three-line pass because it landed on the stick of his forward over the blue line as well. But I thought that would have maybe got a little confused. What, it would have been offside. But the forward had his feet on the right side of the blue line. But the pass went from his own zone all the way into the offensive zone. So, is Tyler Clevin the transitional defenseman? I don't know if it's fair to say that yet, Pilsy, but he did show some flashes that you're like, okay, he might get a regular shift in this tournament. Exactly. And this is the thing. You, you need to have tempered expectations on Clevin. Like, we, we know these things about him. We know that he's going to lay guys out. He did that. We know he's going to struggle with the puck and his skating at times, sure. But he's a young prospect. He's going to figure those things out. And I like what you said. A lot of the time, the puck was getting dumped into his corner. And instead of trying to be Jake Sanderson and pivoting three times to get around a guy and then making a long, perfect pass, just chip it off the glass and get it out. That's the style of player Tyler Clevin is going to be. He's going to make his money. He's going to make his highlights with his big hits. He's not, he's not going to make those three-line passes that you're going to see on TSN over and over. That's not what's expected of him. That's why you got a guy like Jake Sanderson with him. So I think I, I was impressed with uh, the showings from Sanderson and Clevin especially. And I think Yarventi, once he, gets, once he gets going a little bit here, especially getting some chemistry with Lundell, we're going to see a lot more of him lighting the red lamp too. Yeah, I thought he had another good chance on a two-on-one in the second period, but he tried to pass. Like, just rip that, Robbie. Let's go. Yeah, you've got the shot. Don't don't give the pass away. Like, you're the shooter. Yeah, well said. We'll get a lot more into these Sens prospects and more with Henry from Sens prospects on this show tomorrow. But what do you say we get to the Eastern Canadian Roundtable? Hey, maybe before we do, we didn't mention the blockbuster trade that was the Ottawa Senators right after we had Michael Carcone on our organizational value rankings. Hey, at least it's an easy switch for us. We're just going to put Zach Magwood right in that spot. But simply, it's a cost saving. They're going to save about $115,000 because Zach Magwood's entire salary this year was paid in bonus. So I think that's a tidy piece of business when you're looking at two AHL guys who really neither have a chance at the NHL. No offense that's just the reality of it, right? Like this is a guy, Zach Magwood, who's coming off a East coast hockey league year, but you can only play as good, as good as the spot you're put in. He had 47 points in 51 games with the Florida Everblades. So not bad. And you're getting a younger guy, 22 years old, instead of Michael Carcone, who was 24. This trade kind of reminds me a little bit, maybe not on the same magnitude, but remember when the Sens traded Max McCormick and an older AHL guy for JC Bodin, right? 
you just kind of flip that asset and you're going to get a couple more years. Maybe you, you get lucky and you catch lightning in a bottle and he uh, rips it up in the AHL and can be a supporting guy down there. But I really think that uh, these are the kind of little moves that you have to be looking for to slowly build upon your franchise. So sure, it's, it's not a blockbuster deal, but these kind of things are important to get done once in a while. Speaking of that organizational value rankings, we did go long in this one. It's also a bonus episode, so we're going to get back to that countdown coming up tomorrow. But there might be more changes because TSN 1200 is reporting through Sean Simpson that the Sens and Coyotes are in talks with Derek Stepan. And when you look down the middle of the ice for Ottawa, maybe you're like, okay, where is this going to fit in? But if somehow Anisimov could be in that trade or – Oh, man, if they could take Zaitsev. I think what, what really is going to come down to is you look at Arizona without a first and third round pick in this upcoming draft. Of course, they were ravaged with their draft last year, trading it for Taylor Hall and the pre-scouting of these kids that ultimately cost them another draft pick or multiple draft picks, I should say. And a wasted fourth round pick. Yeah, wasted fourth-round pick that they may as well have just thrown right in the garbage. You start to make it look a little more plausible because Ottawa already has three second-round picks in this upcoming draft. First off, there's no chance Arizona is taking another player in salary back, though. The, the whole reason they're trying to trade Derek Stepan is to lose salary. So the idea of Anisimov or Zaitsev going the other way, I think, is pretty much improbable, maybe even impossible. Yeah, the one thing that you that you look at there is that Stepan has $6.5 million cap hit, whereas his salary is $5 million. I know Arizona, not the deepest pocket team either, but they're over the cap. They need to move salary. So if you retain half of Anisimov's cap hit, that's only 2.25, and then you take away 6.5. So that's still a net loss for Coyotes, which would actually bring them underneath the cap. So I think yeah. that's more plausible, especially forward for forward. People throwing out Zaitsev's name, that's uh, – I, I think more of a dreaming scenario, but hey, there's there's just uh, to to quote Simmer, and hey, when he when he goes off on his tangent, but good scoop by him. I think there is some sensibility to it from Ottawa's perspective. If Stepan comes into this team, he's their first line center. Would you agree? Yeah, probably. And yeah, you make a good point. The 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 way you're going to work this is retained salary. So maybe there there might be a way that uh, you can work something here. I think. Stepan is probably at this point in his career, I would put him right on par with Chris Tierney though. Like both of them are more to be, I'm not crazy about this, but then maybe you, you get him and you flip him at the deadline for some assets. So it's not the worst idea because if he comes in, then there goes that uh, third line center spot for Logan Brown. So not too crazy about it, but he is a, he is a good player that could add to this team. And uh, this team needs veteran help if they're going to push for a playoff spot, which I don't think they're about to do yet. So we'll see how this ends up uh, shaking out here. A lot of playoff experience for Derek Stepan as well. 106 games of that. And he had five points in nine games in the bubble for Arizona, which uh, was way higher of a pace than he had during the regular season. 28 points in 70 games. Uh, The former Ranger looking for a new home, maybe in the final year of his contract. So we'll definitely keep an eye on that situation, Pilsy. But hey, it was pretty fun getting the guys from Locked on Leafs, Locked on Habs on the show and a good conversation and a couple chirps as well. Yeah. I mean, anytime you get a Sens fan, a Leafs fan and a Habs fan in the same room, I was going to say same room, same Zoom. 
uh, you're going to, you're going to have some chirps being tossed uh, across the board here, but these are the kind of things like we're so lucky to work on with locked on podcast network because we have access to all, all these different teams and basically local experts on all these teams. So it was fun just to be able to hit them up, be like, Hey, let's do a fun uh, episode here. We're all going to benefit from it. We're going to get uh, new listeners uh, listening to the show. So I think this is a great idea and we'll probably do more of this kind of thing moving forward here. Yeah, I think it's a great idea as well. So without further ado, here it is our Eastern Canadian locked on podcast roundtable. All right, let's get into it. It's the hosts of the three Eastern Canadian teams on the locked on podcast network. Today, we have Brandon Piller from Locked On Senators, Mikey DeStefano from Locked On Leafs, and Scott Matla from the Locked On Canadians podcast. Boys, we have a season, and I know that we're all in the same division anyways, the Atlantic, but now it's expanded to the Great White North. It is the Canadian division, all seven teams. We're going to get your take on all of that and more. The outlook on next season, the outlook on a three-year scale so that Pillsy can have a real say in this, but we'll start out, Scott, with you. Your initial thoughts when you heard it's going to be an all-Canadian division. I just thought that my Twitter mentions are going to be a nightmare for the next four months between every game basically being a rivalry game now and seeing the ever-so-pleasant Canucks fan base and the Oilers a lot more often. It's going to be fun, and it's going to be, it's going to be nasty. It's going to be some old-school hockey, I think, by the end of the season this year. Elzy, now the Ottawa Senators not expected to make any noise. Do you think that this all-Canadian division benefits or hurts their chances? Well, I mean, first off, my reaction to the all-Canadian division was I was pretty fired up about it, and especially now we get to see more of Quinn Hughes, more of McDavid, more of Patterson. So that part's pretty sweet, uh, sweet. more of Matthew Kachuk. Initially, I wasn't really... Uh, I think the Sens' chances get a lot worse in an all-Canadian division as opposed to an Atlantic division. You're not getting those bottom-feeding teams like Detroit, like Buffalo, so it's going to be tougher there. But I'm all for the rivalries, and I'm all for heating up uh, Canadian rivalries, that's for sure. And Mikey, with Locked on Leafs, I got to ask you, if we are seeing this situation where maybe it's even a playoff style where you're playing the same team over and over, could that hurt the Leafs based on their recent playoff history? I don't think it'll hurt the Leafs. I, I think that they've made a lot of good improvements too to try and rid themselves of that type of mentality. And I think that uh, they'll, if they, they do suffer a loss, they'll be able to kind of throw it uh, to the wayside and get going. But I, I'm excited. I, I love it. I think that it's going to be great. Uh, like Brandon said, watching all these young stars from all the Canadian markets, you know, you, you got your Pedersons, your Quinn Hughes's, but I'm excited to see a guy like Mark Shifley, one of my favorite players in the league, being able to watch him now seven, eight times against the Maple Leafs is going to be a lot of fun. But what I'm not looking forward to, and something that a lot of people haven't chatted about Depending on how the schedule shakes out, the multiple late night starts for us here in, in the East Coast having to play up against Terrar, Vancouver and Edmonton and Calgary potentially on the West Coast eight or nine times having to wake up and, or stay up late. And Ross, I know you and I will be here at the studio at 1050 watching these games late at night. That part I'm not as much looking forward to. But in terms of the actual gameplay, it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, I'm glad that you mentioned the stars that maybe fly under the radar, like Mark Shifley, like Johnny Goudreau, and we're all seeing Elias Pettersson over and over, but getting to see those Western guys on a, a more consistent basis, that can't hurt the brand of the sport either up in Canada, especially for people who have gone from 
East Coast and they've moved West. Maybe they don't get to see their team at a primetime slate. So I think that's great for the game. And now I want to open it up to you guys. And I think we'll start more so with Mikey and Scott talking. Pilsy, we'll save you for the prospect segment a bit more. But with you guys, how do you feel about playing against more Canadian teams versus Atlantic? And I'm not talking about how it's great to see those guys, but you guys are both aiming for a Stanley Cup this year. Is this going to hurt or benefit your chances? I'll start with you, Mikey. I think it betters the chances for the Maple Leafs. I mean, the the two teams that really have stood in the way of them succeeding in their own division in the past have been the Boston Bruins and the Tampa Bay Lightning. They are no longer in this division. Sure, there are some really good teams in this Canadian division, such as Edmonton and Vancouver. Calgary is going to pose a problem. But I truly do believe and see the Leafs as the class of this division, uh, with Calgary being a second close. But... They're going to be favorites in all 56 games now. They're going to have an opportunity to win a lot of games and finish with potentially the top seed, have home ice advantage, and if it ends up being a, you know Canadian teams all throughout the playoffs as well, the best chance of them to make it out of this division and closer to the Stanley Cup than they've been since, what, 2002? So I, I think that uh, this, this definitely betters Toronto in that aspect. For the Canadians, it's kind of the same thing as that. We're no longer in a division with teams like Tampa Bay and Boston who beat you up and down the lineup with depth. And I look at how the Canadians have played in the past. They usually play very well against the Western Canadian teams. They play very well against Vancouver, against Calgary. They've pretty much owned Winnipeg since they've come back into the league. And then they go back and forth with Toronto and sometimes with Ottawa with when Ottawa's on their way up or when they're fully stacked up there. Or when Pajot's on the team. Oh, please don't remind me. I'm so grateful that man is no longer here. It, I think that Montreal is one of those teams that's going to be looking to finish top two or three in this division right now because they've proven they can beat these teams, and they've beaten them consistently before, and now they don't have to face Tampa Bay where you can get on a run and then that can come to a screeching halt because Tampa Bay can just score it well. And even if you're playing well, they're going to score it well because they have that kind of team. Uh, for the Canadians, I think this division benefits them a little bit because it gets them away of, from the big scaries in Boston and Tampa Bay, but then their trap games like against Florida and against Buffalo for whatever godforsaken reason. How about Detroit? Didn't you guys go 0 for 4 against Detroit last year? Uh, last year never happened as far as I'm concerned <laughs> against playing Detroit. Last year never happened whatsoever. Pilsy, do the Sens have an opportunity in this division to play spoiler or is it just too much to ask at this point? I think the Sens absolutely have the opportunity to play spoiler. And I think this playoff baseball style, whatever you want to call it, schedule where you're going to be playing multiple games against the same team in a short time period is going to help the Sens because, look, we all know they're probably the lower team of this division. But one thing every single person seems to say about the Senators when they played them last year, hard team to play against. They compete, they grind, they wear you down, they play a physical game. They're going to do all that stuff this year. And I think we're going to see maybe the Sens don't win the first game of a lot of series, but I see the Sens winning games two and or three of a couple series against these teams just grinding, wearing them down. How would you guys rate, and I come from a goalie-friendly show over at Locked On Senators. I'm going to start with you, Scott. Carey Price, Frederick Anderson, Matt Murray. How would you say that one, two, three? Oh, man, no matter what happens, this is not easy. I, I look at their body of work across their career, and I think Carey Price, now with Jake Allen as his backup, stands at the front of this division. Matt Murray is coming off a rough year in Pittsburgh, 
and is going to an Ottawa team that's rebuilding, and he might rebound and be very good, but he still has a long way to go to come back from where he was in Ottawa as a whole. And then Frederick Anderson is that perfect middle ground. He's a very good goalie. He sometimes gets let down by his defense, or sometimes he goes into cold slump. He is a goalie, but I think it is Price Anderson uh, Murray at this point, and I will be proven immediately wrong on that like I always am, but I got to stick to my guns on that one. Scott, I'm glad you mentioned the backup and being Jake Allen. Backups will never be more important if a condensed schedule is the situation. Mikey, is that somewhere the Leafs might have a weakness? Aaron Dell, Jack Campbell? I don't know if you're really scaring anybody with those two names. No, actually, I think opposite. I think you look at a guy like Jack Campbell. He's been able to play pretty well in the time that he's been able to to get on the ice. Uh, there was a time there where Johnny Quick had suffered some injuries out in L.A., and he filled in quite admirably in front of a pretty porous L.A. team. So I think with a much improved Toronto team in front of him, I'm excited to see what Jack Campbell will be able to do on with a lot of starts, and it should be able to give Toronto a, a chance to rest Freddie a little bit more. He hasn't been able to play well in the playoffs. I think something that has to do with it is the amount of, of workload that he has so much in the season so uh, if they can spell him a few games here and there and allow uh, Jack Campbell to play I think it's certainly going to be beneficial Aaron Dell nah, I'm not too high on Aaron Dell we could say but I mean I don't think you're going to be starting your third goalie too too much anyway yeah that's like asking uh, Scott how he feels about um, what's his name Charlie Lind Lindbergh he was a prospect at one point Lindgren, yeah he's the uh I don't even know what the AHL goalie depth is at this point. So trying or to rank Michael them McNiven. There's McNiven. There's Demchenko, a guy they signed from Russia, and then there's also Caden Primo, who's yeah, the top he's player. solid. We we it, saw him a couple times with Laval last year when we were working in Belleville. He's a good goalie. It, it's there's a third goalie. Who knows who it is, and who knows who's starting in the AHL at this point too. If you're starting your third goalie, let's just say you probably don't have the best chance in the All Canadian Division and. Goaltending yeah. is going to be the major thing. When is it not in hockey? And I think that's the only reason why Winnipeg won't be right there with Ottawa towards the bottom. They have Connor Hellebuck, a, a Vesna candidate, I should say winner, and an MVP candidate or should have been this past season. I'm going to start with you, Pilsy. How would you power rank one through seven this Canadian division? All right, well – it pains me to say this, but I'm with Mikey on this. I do think the Leafs are at the top of this division, and I think Ooh. it's gonna it's it's gonna be easier for them now that Tampa and Boston are out of the way. So there you go. Congrats to you guys. Second, and this might surprise some people, but I have the Vancouver Canucks in second. I think uh, I really like what I saw from them last year. Sure, they lost some key pieces, but I'm looking at Thatcher Demko to have a massive season, and they obviously have their faith in him going forward here. Then I would probably have the Calgary Flames up next, then the Habs, and then I think I'm going to go with Winnipeg here, the Hellebuck. I think that holds a lot of weight, and then the Oilers, and then finishing at the bottom, unfortunately, is the Ottawa Senators for me. I started at the bottom. Ottawa was the one easy thing right now. They might be very good in the future, but right now they're still that team on the rise. And then I have Vancouver in that Thatcher Demko was incredible in the playoffs for them. He needs to do that now over a condensed schedule with a team that is now missing some of their top 60, some of their better forwards. They still have a lot of talent, but there's still a lot of flaws on that team that Jim Benning has created through free agency that need to be addressed. I have Winnipeg where uh, the biggest thing here is I don't think Paul Maurice is the right coach for this team anymore. They have so much offensive talent that isn't being 
you look at Patrick Laine, who doesn't want to be there, but they want him there, but they don't want him there. That they're, they're going to be a team that could be a spiraling dumpster fire this year if things start poorly for them. Uh, I have Calgary, just because I um, solid team all the way around. They might not blow everyone out of the water every night, but I think they're solid. I have Edmonton. Uh, their goaltending is going to hold them back. You went with Mike Smith again for whatever godforsaken reason. You went with Mike Smith again. I have Edmonton, and then I have Montreal and Toronto. I think Toronto's high-end talent in a shortened schedule can help propel them to the top of this division, whereas Montreal's depth can help them outlast the Oilers a little bit, and obviously the carry price factor is very, very real, especially in a season like this. I'm going to go three for three and make it the Toronto Maple Leafs as the class of this Canadian division. Second, I think the Calgary Flames. I like the additions that they made this offseason. They finally got themselves a quality goaltender in Jacob Markstrom. And that brings me to number three in this division, and that's the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, they lost Markstrom, but they replaced him with Holtby. Not too bad of a player. Um, and everyone talks about how much they're going to miss Tyler Toffoli, who went to your Hab, Scott. But to be honest, he played 17 games with the Canucks. That's it. Just 17 games. I don't think you can miss somebody who only played a handful of games with that team. Only seven of them in the playoffs. He was injured for a good portion of that. So I think Vancouver is going to be a lot better than people think. Um, and we're all actually in agreement with that, apparently. And then I see the Montreal Canadiens as uh, the fourth best team in this division, followed by Edmonton, Winnipeg, and Sorry, boys, but I don't think uh, Ottawa is going to be surprising anyone. I have them uh, sitting there in last place here in this Canadian division. I'll just wrap it up before we move on, just to give my two cents. I'll say Toronto as well, and that gives us a clean sweep as much as I want to go in a different direction. And I want to follow up on what Scott said about goaltending and Jake Allen and Carey Price. I've got Montreal in second, and I don't know if that's a hot take, but I think that Shea Weber still in the prime of his career. We'll see how long that lasts. I don't think it will be as long as his contract, but right now he is still a scary 1D to go up against, and I think they've got great depth around him and Jeff Petrie and Ben Chirot, man. He seemed like a forgotten piece in Winnipeg. He goes over to Montreal, really establishes himself as a top-four guy. So as long as they can get maybe a bit more out of Victor Mete, who took a sophomore slump, step back, Last year, I think they're going to be a solid team from the back out. And when you add that offensive talent of Tyler Toffoli and you have Nick Suzuki one more year comfortable in the league, I think Montreal is actually going to be a really good team going forward. And then I'll put Vancouver at three. And you guys kept mentioning Demko. Like, they've got a Stanley Cup champ they brought in in Braden Holpe as well. Let's not forget about him. He's going to start and he's going to win some games for them. And I'm maybe going a bit different because I don't trust Edmonton's goalies, but they're going to score so many goddamn goals. It's not going to matter some nights. They're going to win 6-4 when you have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and expect a bounce back from Kyle Turris, who's had a tough year in Nashville. I see him as being a 2B type guy. Then I'm looking at Calgary. Then I'm looking at Winnipeg. And honestly, it's more of a toss-up between Winnipeg and Ottawa than I'd like to say. Let's, let's say Connor Hellebuck is not the one from last year and from a year before. And let's say Matt Murray is his playoff self, two-time cup champion at the age of 25. So there's lots riding on Matt Murray in Ottawa. He signed a four-year ticket at over $6 million. He's going to have to prove he's worth that much. And th for the first time in his career, Matt Murray doesn't have a guy sitting on the bench who has more respect in the league than he does. First, Matt, That's a first dig at Marcus Hogberg. 
Well, hey, I don't know if we're putting Hogberg in that category, but hey, he could be the next Jacob Markstrom, a guy who took a while to develop, but he's a good goalie. However, he had Marc-Andre Fleury and then forgetting Christian his Yari. Yari. Christian Yari, yeah, and he's the guy who the Penguins are going to ride this upcoming season. And I don't know, I, I just see a lot of uh, movement possible in this Canadian division. So it's going to be exciting to watch. But in these 2021 team outlooks, I'm excited to see one specific thing. If you're following one thing about each team, let's say your team is going to overperform. Mikey, I'll start with you. The Leafs, how do you overperform from first? Well, try winning a playoff series, which would be the first time <laughs> since 2004. How would they be able to do that? Well, if they need to win a playoff series, A, they need Mitch Marner to wake the hell up, and they need Freddie Anderson to come prepared for a game seven. But overall, as a team, I think uh, maturity. I think this team needs to learn how to play 60 minutes. They just haven't done that at all, really, the past couple of seasons. And what I like is the fact that they went out and they knew this. And, and each coach, even Babcock last year, said the very similar things in a much more hastier way. But you look at what you know Dubas has said, and now you look at what Shelton Keefe has said, and the lack of maturity from this team on a game-to-game -game basis uh, has really, really been evident. And I think that if they can just play 60 minutes the way that they can play and, and you know, night in and night out, they're going to win a lot of hockey games because they truly do, on paper, have one of the most talented teams in the league. And I think they got better from last year despite losing guys like Capit and guys like Janssen. So I truly do believe that if they can just get a little bit more mature and bringing in guys like Joe Thornton, Wayne Simmons, Zach Bogosian, those should help with the guys in the locker room and get that young core to play a lot better on every, any given night. So that's what's going to happen if this team wants to succeed. Yeah. Did you say Freddie Anderson or Freddie Laleem? I mean, that one's still up for debate. Uh, Scott, I'll wait for you because I want to go to the bottom of the division. If the Ottawa Senators do not finish last Pilsy, what happened for that to be possible? I think if you're looking at the Ottawa Senators making a big move, it's going to come from their young prospects. Like we have third overall pick Timmy Stutzla stepping in here, possibly, hopefully, and he could make a lot of noise either as a center or a winger. We'll see where the Ottawa Senators decide to start him. There's a lot of open spots for these young guys. And I think, look, the old guy, there's not a lot of veteran leadership on this team, and the young guys are going to have to make it happen here. Even guys like Kachuk and Shabbat are basically veterans on this team, and they're not even 25 years old yet. So they're going to have a lot of weight on their shoulders. I think we're going to see a big bounce back year from Colin White. It's all the guys 25 and under. If they perform to where the Senators franchise expects them to perform, they could, like you said, Ross, they could sneak ahead of Winnipeg if Connor Hellebuck doesn't have another Vesna-like season. And, hey, it's all about Timmy Superstar, right? We'll see how he can come in to his own in the NHL. I was raving about the Habs back end and the goaltending. What is it about that team where if they're going to overperform, let's say they jump Toronto, what happened for that to be the case? After three years of every fan in the fan base tearing their hair out about Kirk Muller's power play coaching, they finally figured it out. If they can figure out their man advantage and penalty kill at the same time, not one or the other, this team has the talent on offense to really take it to teams. We saw them do it to Philadelphia in the playoffs. They impose their style at even strength and then can't score on the power play when given the chance, and that cost them in this season. You're putting a team away and then you cost yourself with a shorthanded goal against or whatever. If they can figure out their power play and get consistency from Carey Price and Jake Allen, which 
they should. We saw what rested Price did in the playoffs. Getting that power play going to be able to uh, give Jonathan Drouin some space, to give Nick Suzuki space to operate, to allow Jeff Petrie and Shea Weber more opportunities to shoot the puck and not defend. This is a team that can pile up goals in bunches when they need to. They just need to convert on the power play, and that involves just shifting a few pieces here or there. And hopefully Kirk Muller, after so many years, has finally figured that out. Scott, what is the expectations of Nick Suzuka going into his second year? Is he expected to take a massive leap and really be a focal point of the Habs offense? I think after the postseason with how strong – he was the leading scorer for the Habs in the postseason. He was tied with Jonathan Duane, which no one wants to mention that those two found chemistry in the series against Philadelphia. And they're going to be counting on him and that you know chemistry with Duane this year to kind of get them going – because everyone wants to point at how poor Drouin has been playing in Montreal. And he's been good when he was healthy. Last year, Alexander Ovechkin absolutely freight trained him, and he was never the same afterwards. Suzuki is going to be counted on him to get him going a little bit, find that synergy, and I think another step up in points. And as a consistent second-line center behind Philip Deneau this year, I think is what they're looking for. People forget, he started the year you know, playing on the wing and then going down to the fourth line when Claude Julien needed to protect a lead. And by the end of the season in the playoffs, he was killing penalties against Sidney Crosby and the Penguins. It was a massive step forward. And from there now, it's more points year after year as he kind of grows up a little bit and matures a little bit in the NHL. I think there's a great topic to have later on in this show about Brandstrom versus Suzuki. Picked two picks apart in 2017, both traded from the Golden Knights for elite offensive wingers but first Mikey you need offensive wingers to play on the power play we know the Leafs PP1 is completely deadly and that's without Tyson Berry but how did the Leafs address their second power play unit because that was a complete non-factor last season yeah I think that they went out and they they addressed it they get a guy like Wayne Simmons who can park out in front of the net I think Joe Thornton's a player who could also come in and play on that second power play and when it comes to who's going to end up playing, uh, you know, up top on defensively, I'll be curious to see if they give a chance to one of either TJ Brody or somebody who I'm excited to see, Miko Lettinen. He's playing unbelievably over in the KHL, or was, I suppose, before he packed up shop and came back over to quarantine in, in Toronto. But, you know, he's someone who's playing out, out of his mind, and I think that him kind of quarterbacking the second power play should allow them to uh, to really get it going there and give them two units that could be just as lethal as you know, two units that can be just as lethal. I think we're going to have to get back together and talk about maybe the other side of this. What if things don't go to according to plan? But before we finish off, we got to talk about a bit longer of an outlook because despite the All-Canadian division this year, these three teams are always in the same division in the Atlantic. So what makes you think, Scott, that this Habs team, we know Carey Price is on the other side of 30 now. We know that that's the same case for Shea Weber, who's got, what, 25 years left on his contract? It seems like it's never ending, but do you think that there's that next brigade coming in where the Habs can be competitive for an extended period of time? I absolutely do. One of Mark Bergevin's big things when he did this whole I don't want to blow it all up, but I don't want to give up the farm quite yet was he loaded up on draft picks and he has had double digits in every drafts for like the last three years, and he's making the most of them. And he's gotten pieces like Cole Caulfield, who can come in and be a, a, a absolute star goal scorer. Someone like Jordan Harris, who's a nice, calm, composed, everyday NHL defenseman. 
Jaden Struble, who plays the game aggressive and with a physical edge and loves to drive to the net as a defenseman playing at Northeastern. You have Alexander Romanov, who's going to make his NHL debut this year. You have Matthias Norlinder in Sweden, who is a silky smooth skater, has a nose for the net just like Struble, and has no lack of confidence whatsoever. He's a defenseman going for the Michigan in-game while his team is tied. Like, he has no shortage of confidence whatsoever. And then you have players like Caden Dooley who are going to be that robust-style defenseman they want that's physical but can move the puck quite well. They've done well to restock behind some of their uh, aging positions. On defense, they're loaded with prospects. They have Caden Primo uh, behind Carey Price, who's learning. He's going to take the reins in Lavelle this year. And then you have players like Cole Caulfield. You have young stars like uh, Jesperi Kotkaniemi and Nick Suzuki who are in the NHL already. And then you have Jesse Yellenen who's coming. You have Alexander Gordine who does one thing. He shoots the puck. He doesn't skate worth a damn, but he shoots the puck like mad over in Russia right now. They're doing well. And then with another 13 picks this upcoming year, they'll be able to fill in right behind those guys too. They almost have too many prospects to find a home port one point in time or another but it gives them so many cracks to try and figure out who is that person who's going to fill in. And I think they've done a really good job at that so far. So three completely different styles of how to continue success because Ottawa went the road of just trading absolutely everybody <laughs> and stacking up assets. Montreal went the draft pick route, but with Toronto, Mikey, and I don't want to undersell the fact that the fact they were, they were able to get 15th overall out of Casperi Kapanen, and that's no small feat but they seem to go the UFA route. And you mentioned Miko Lettinen. Is that what's going to keep them competitive going forward? Or are these long-term projects with the Leafs' robust development system, is that the plan to keep this ship sailing? I think it has to be. I mean, you can sign as many guys as you want, but unfortunately in the NHL, there's something called a salary cap, and UFAs cost a lot of money. It's these young players that are coming up that are going to have to supplant these players who are going to price themselves out of Toronto. I think of a guy like Zach Hyman next year. He's going to need a, a healthy raise. I'm just not sure Toronto's going to be able to afford it unless he wants to take a hometown discount. So I look at guys like Nick Robertson, Rodion Amirov, you know, those types of players who are going to have to fill in on their rookie deals who can play in the top six, hopefully we think can play in the top six or projecting them to who can take those types of roles. You're not going to be able to fill in those positions in free agency. You just don't have the money here in Toronto. And it's funny listening to, to uh, Scott rattle off all those great prospects that they have in Montreal. I know Ad, Ottawa's got themselves dozens of, of top tier prospects as well in Toronto. It's not that great. We've been trading away draft picks while you guys have been accumulating them, but I think Toronto has hit on a few really good ones. Nick Robertson, obviously we got a first taste of him this past uh, playoffs. He looks like he's a pretty solid player. He's going to get an opportunity to play. Rodion Amirov is going to get a, a good chance to be a star here at the World Juniors, along with Roni Yervinen, another player for the Finns who was taken this past draft. And then a couple of defensemen I expect to uh, for them to factor into this team at some point in the next year or two, and that's Rasmus Sandin and Timothy Lilligren. So I think that much like most teams in the NHL, you do have to still build through the draft. And although the Leafs haven't had a lot of high-level draft picks over the past couple of years, they still are going to have to rely on a couple of these guys hitting. So you touched on Roni Rivon and also Topi Niemela. Wow, geez, I needed some extra money for saying those two names back-to-back. <laughs> but they were traded, actually, Ottawa trading up to make a contentious pick with Tyler Clevin. Hilsey, how are you feeling about that trade? I know it's been three games 
at North Dakota, the Nodak Sens, as we're referring to them on the Locked On Sens podcast. Four prospects on the number one ranked team in the United States in the NCAA. What are you feeling about that trade? Is it the big burly defenseman? Is he doing enough for you to warrant those picks? Well, first of all, small sample size for Tyler Clevin. Three college games. We're going to see how he does with uh, Team USA in the World Juniors. But I, I really think the two draft picks that they gave up to trade were held a lot of value. I'm not going to try to say those guys' names back-to-back. I think I'm going to twist my tongue up. But those are two quality players that when the Leafs were drafting both those guys and we were waiting to see who the set or uh, when the Sens traded up to get Clevin and then we saw the Leafs select both those guys, I thought the Leafs might have done better with their draft value there. Mind you, the thing with Tyler Clevin is you've got so many defensemen in Ottawa. There's no rush for him to come in and play at any time. You get a guy who has a skill set that a lot of their prospects don't have. Big, mean, can hit, can shoot the puck. Whereas they already have those puck-moving guys uh, in Brandstrom, Shabbat, Sanderson, JBD, all these guys that are going to do that. So Willanen especially, yeah. So they, they went a different route, and that's okay. But I think for the Ottawa Senators, what gives me hope for the future is a, I, I don't know what you guys think uh, in Leafs and Havland, but those new jerseys are absolutely sick. Look good, play good. I think it's going to have a big advantage for them moving forward here. And the thing with Ottawa was always you can't get big ticket free agents to sign long term. Well, how about Evgeny Dadanov? Five million a year for three years. That's impressive. That's no longer a stigma with the Ottawa Senators. And they're going to need some help from free agency going forward here because eventually, not this season, but next season, they're going to be pushing for playoffs and they're going to need some backups from some veteran guys. Call me when a guy like John Tavares signs over in Ottawa. Well, he, I mean, John Tavares messed up the whole cap situation out in, uh, in Leafland. How about Alexei Kovalev? We go 10 years back, sign with, uh, with everybody, it seems like, <laughs> coming from Montreal to Ottawa, though. No, but when you're looking at young players and you're looking at how they fit in, some teams like Toronto, they'll go with the safe bet sometimes. And maybe Amirov is the exception to that, but with Hrovonen and, and Niemela, whereas Tyler Clevin is boomer bust. He's either going to make an impact at the NHL. This guy dummied uh, forward coming out of his own zone when his team was up 7-1 in a game last week. So you just look at that mean streak, and if he can fit in in that bottom pair in Ottawa, we have so much more to get to. Like I said, we want to talk about maybe where your team doesn't stack up, what could go wrong, and we stirred up some dust at Sen Central by telling you, that there's three at least sense prospects that are above anybody in Habs or Leafs Nation. But maybe we'll tease that for next time because we still don't know a date to the NHL season. It'll come sooner rather than later. And afterwards, it's going to be a short camp and then the season. So, boys, what do you say we put that on ice? Once the players get back on ice, we can revisit those conversations later. But for now, I want to say thank you to Scott Matla at LO underscore Canadiens. You can follow him on Twitter there at Mikey Stefano at Locked On Leafs. You can follow him there. And then Pilsy and I, at Send Central on Twitter. Boy, it's been a great chat learning about the other Eastern Canadian teams. Thank you all for taking the time tonight and hope you enjoyed listening. We'll all be back sooner rather than later to talk about the other side of what could be a very exciting season in the Canadian division. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Scott and Mikey. Really appreciate them taking the time joining us. Pilsy, we are eight days away from the start of Sen's training camp. Can you believe that? It feels so nice to say. 
Yeah, it does feel nice to say. Unfortunately, we thought training camp was going to start earlier. The NHL only gave those seven non-qualifying teams a couple days, but hey, we'll take them. The sooner we get NHL hockey back, the better. And there's just so many good stories coming into training camp, so I'm fired up. And so many good plans here on the Locked On Senators podcast. So make sure you subscribe wherever you download your podcast and follow us on Twitter too, at Send Central, the perfect holiday gift and free as well we always appreciate reviews there too and if you want hit us up if you want to either be a sense central citizen we've got that coming up every saturday or if there's somebody you want to hear on the show a guest then we have a few that we're lining up for the start now that we know when the nhl is sounds like later today being wednesday we're going to get the first draft of the nhl schedule so we'll be all over that tomorrow with sense prospects we'll be on the show then on friday we're previewing the world juniors yes it's christmas day you think we're taking that off when the world juniors are starting no chance so stay tuned for all that but for today we say goodbye for brandon pillar i'm ross levitan this has been the locked on senators podcast your team every day